Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news. Hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Then, after the battle, you will be standing firm. All right, how we doing? You guys glad to be in church today? It is good to see you all here, and I'm glad that you're here with us today. And everyone at our South Campus, thank you guys for watching and being in church today. We love you guys and uh, pray for you guys a lot. Uh, it's been a couple weeks since I've been up here, and so I'm super excited, and I'll probably go twice as long. That's not an apology. It's a warning, not an apology. And so I'm glad to be here today, and uh, I want to talk about clothes. I want to talk about clothes today. Clothes are kind of a weird thing. Some of you love clothes, don't you? Some of you love them. You, you, you have a ton of clothes. You always want to go get new clothes. In fact, just talking about clothes today, some of you are like, I should go to the mall and get more clothes. I need more clothes, right? And so you ha it doesn't matter. You have a walk-in closet full of them, bins full of them, dressers full of them. They're all over your floor because you don't have space for them. But you will still say things like, I need new pants. I need them. Notice how we never talk about clothes as if they're anything but like an absolute necessity. No one says, I like shirts so much, I'd like to get a few extras. No, we say, I need a new shirt. I need new shoes. I need new pants. Right? Some of you love clothes. Some of you hate clothes. Not like not wearing them, but just the fact that you have to go find them and buy them and try them on. And it's, it's the, just the most annoying thing. In the, I'm a grumpy clothes shopper. I am grumpy, and, and I especially hate buying clothes for myself, and trying them on is the biggest inconvenience in the world. I, I will make awful, rash decisions to keep me from like those four minutes it would take to try clothes on. Right? I, I don't like it, and if I'm at the mall, I'm, my hands are already full, because if I'm at the mall, guaranteed, there's a coffee in one hand and my phone in the other. That's how I endure the mall. That's how I survive having to go to the mall. And so that means I'm going to have to put something down to look through like shelves of things to find a pair of pants or whatever. And so you're looking at these pants and you're like, how many guys wore these pants already? <laughs> right? Like, I'm at the mall. Did 23 other guys try these on? That's gross. I don't know how many guys have had those pants on. Do they wash them? They don't. They don't. Right? So then you're looking at them, you're like, what's, like, is this stain supposed to be here? Right? True. Because nowadays with fashion, you don't know. Right? The tag will say, distressed wear. And you're like, I'm a little distressed. Wondering about that stain. Wondering about those holes. I don't know. Is it on purpose? I hate buying clothes. I hate it. Not a big fan. Um, but our clothes say a lot about us. Our clothes are really important. 
And uh, you have to be prepared with the right clothes for the right occasion. See, there's clothes rules. There's clothes guidelines that we all have to follow and that we all need to be aware of. For instance, right now, you're all wearing clothes, right? As far as I can tell. Yeah. South Campus, I don't know. I'm just assuming. Uh, if you're not, I'll never go to theater two again for a movie, but that's different. Um, so you, you wore clothes tonight on purpose for church. You're in your church clothes. Some of you dress up for church like it's church clothes or special. Some of you are wearing what you'll wear to school this week, what you're going to wear to work, depending on where you work, whatever. They're kind of just your casual thing. So this, this here, this is my church outfit. Okay, this is, this is church clothes. This is, I know, I know. Um, this is a lead pastor shirt or a lumberjack. It's both, lead pastors and lumberjacks. It'll be the name of my new pastoral menswear that I launch next season. Um, so this is, this is what I wear. This is what I wear. That's church clothes. That's normal, everyday kind of life clothing. Um, but see, then, every now and then, though, you got to do this. See, I own a suit. I do own a suit. This is, this is proof, ladies and gentlemen, that I own a suit. Um, I had to wear this. I had to wear this last week. I wore it to a funeral. That's how, that's how you know. Someone passed away. Um, Listen, I wanted to show you I can do this. Some of you doubt my abilities and sometimes want to prove to you that I'm capable time I am sorry. Wait, it's really short. I didn't So I do want a suit. Every now and then you have to wear a suit. I wore it last week. I had to introduce myself to cross pointers because they didn't recognize me. I was like, yeah, no, I'm Mark. I pastor your church. They're like, oh, and the scales fall off. Um, here's, though, here's another piece of clothing. This, this is my old softball uniform. It says Crosspoint. We used to have a softball team for like eight years. We were really bad. Um, but this is, what, this is what you wear if you're going to go play sports. You have to wear a jersey. You have to wear the right thing. This is important because it tells you whose team you're on. That matters in sports. It's fairly vital to what's going on. And so you have to wear your sports clothes to the sports events. Then sometimes, though, it's pajama pants time right here. What a good feeling pajama pants are. Aren't they great? Uh, these are Perry the platypus, for those of you who are not aware of those kinds of things. Uh, now, when pajama pants come on, this is just a warning, these are not for public consumption. Right? No one is allowed to see me actually wear these pants. When I put these pants on, this is your way of saying, I'm shutting it down for the day, and I won't be going out one of my exit or entrances because I am inside for the rest of the day. Right? This, no, you don't wear these out. Okay? That's, that's just, that's not a suggestion. Um, it's funny, though, one time, this was about a year, a little bit over a year ago, I was wearing those one night. It was getting pretty late. I had a small group from the church show up at my house. I'm wearing my Perry the Platypus pajama pants. So it was nice. they were here to bring me a gift. They didn't know they were also getting a gift of seeing me in my, my pajama pants. All that to say that every circumstance comes with its own dress code. Every circumstance comes with a specific thing that you need to wear so that whatever the best case scenario is, is going to be the thing that happens. It might be a suit, 
and tie, it might be hospital scrubs, it might be a bathing suit, it might be a sports jersey, whatever it is, you have to dress for the right occasion so that you are prepared to face whatever it is you are about to go do. And if you wore the wrong thing to the wrong place, it, it could be pretty awkward. In fact, it could be downright disastrous, right? You don't want to wear hospital scrubs to officiate a wedding. You don't want to go play softball with your tie on, right? It's, it's just not going to work. It's not going to go well for you. And so you have to dress appropriately for the occasion that you are about to walk into. The wrong clothes can ruin everything, and the right clothes can really make or break. And so that's what I want to talk about today and for the rest of the series. I want to talk about what it means to follow Jesus, because following Jesus comes with a dress code. But it's not physical clothes. It's not. In fact, the, the dress code that comes when you follow Jesus, um, you don't have to find it at a mall, thankfully. You don't ever have to try it on. You don't have to pay money for it already. This is the best outfit you're ever going to own. But there are a few things uh, that we need to know about it. The first being it's invisible. And the second thing is that it's intended for warfare. So the dress code that comes as being a follower of Christ not everyone's necessarily going to know that you're wearing it or what it's there for, but it is pivotal for your, your relationship with Jesus and making sure that it lasts. See, Jesus is not concerned about your fashion, but he is concerned about your protection. He is concerned that you will be able to withstand trials and troubles. He is concerned that you will be able to not lose hope and give up halfway when things get really difficult. He is concerned that you will make it to the finish line. That's what Jesus wants for you. He wants you to make it to the finish line. And so the dress code that we are talking about is the outfit that you put on that will ensure that, that you can persevere. It will ensure that you are protected and it will ensure that you make it to the end. Isn't that what you want? <clears throat> it's also never going to go to style, which is really good news also for people who have trouble staying in style, like myself. Um, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6, if you have your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 6 is the church's dress code. Not just cross point, the church's dress code. And it starts at verse 10. It says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor. So you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil, and then after the battle, you will be standing firm. So stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil, and put on salvation as your helmet, and take the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for believers everywhere. That is our dress code. 
That is what we are supposed to put on. That is what we are supposed to wear if you call yourself a follower of Jesus. And so let's, let's just talk about the thing that the church never wants to talk about. All right? No, not that. Spiritual warfare. We don't hear about this very much, do we? We, we don't like to talk about this very often. It, this, this kind of freaks people out. This is one of those weird parts of the Bible that when your friends ask you about church and about Jesus, this isn't what you bring up first. Oh, you follow Jesus. Yeah, let me tell you about the devil. Right? Like, no, no, this, this is what freaks people out. Right? And some of you, maybe, maybe you got weirded out. Even just reading through that passage, there, there was words like uh, the authorities of the unseen world and evil spirits and, and all these kind of like fiery arrows. And, and, and some of you just walked in and you were like, nope. No, I'm not buying into that. That's fiction. That's crazy talk. Maybe this is your first time at Crosspoint. Maybe this is your first time in church since you were like eight years old. You're like, yeah, I'll go check out Crosspoint. I heard they were pretty normal. Right? No, you probably didn't hear that, actually. But you were like, yeah, I'll, I'll go check out Crosspoint. And all of a sudden, hey, welcome to the devil talk. And you're just like, no, this is crazy. But listen, we need to talk about this. We need to get on the right page, the same page here. You cannot believe in God and Jesus and Christianity and not believe in the devil and demons and, and all of that other stuff. You can't. You, you can't believe in one but not the other. And I've had people tell me things like, oh, I like Jesus. He was a great teacher. He said some nice things, but that devil stuff, I don't buy into that. No, it's not up for debate. You, 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 you have to buy in to both of those things. It's real. It's biblical. The nice parts of the Bible, the, the parts that you find palpable, you're like, love your enemies. That's great advice. The authorities of the unseen world, you're like, no, I, I, I'm not picking that. But you, you don't get to decide. See, spiritual warfare is in the Bible from beginning to end. In fact, one of the very first characters in all of Scripture is the devil. He's there in Genesis chapter 3, one of the first characters to show up in the Garden of Eden. You, you can't just discount him. You can't just kind of leave him out. In fact, the very existence of Jesus points to the existence of a devil, right? Because Jesus is there to save us from our sin, but if there's no devil, then there was no one to tempt us to sin. Therefore, we didn't sin. Therefore, we never needed a savior to sin. Therefore, there is no cross and there is no need for a savior. The fact that Jesus existed means that there's also a devil. You can't choose one and not believe in the other one, and so we have to talk about it. If he's real and we believe that he is, then we have to talk about it because it's incredibly important. We are in a battle. And it's not against people. And, and I think that's a good reminder for us all of the time. Your fight is not against people. It's not against the people that don't like you, not against the people that you don't like, not against the people who angered you. It's not against the people who believe differently than you or behave differently than you. People are never the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. Right? And, and so your fight is not against people. And those people, and ourselves included, whenever they do something that we don't like or say something that we don't like, and our first instinct is to be like, ah, I yell at you, I don't like you. No, our first instinct should be to pray for them because this is a spiritual battle. It is not a physical battle. They are not the enemy. They have been lied to by an enemy. They might be following the lead of the enemy, but they are not the enemy. 
And every physical, tangible battle that you see in front of you, every battle that you're involved in right now, that started as an invisible battle. That started in the spiritual realm, and you were not aware of it, and you didn't see it, but it was happening. And lies were said, and temptations were thrown out, and it led to the mess that you might find yourself in the middle of now. But it always starts with a battle. That's how the enemy works. The enemy would love for us to keep on fighting each other and disregard him. That, that, that would be his best case scenario. So we can't. We can't disregard him. We can't count him out. We've got to talk about the enemy. In fact, we believe, according to scripture, that the world is enemy territory. That, that's what scripture says. Uh, this is 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. It says, Satan, who is the god of this world... Now think about that for a minute. Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news, right? Because he is lying to them. Right? He is the god of this world. He is the one right now who has free reign. And doesn't that make a lot of sense when you look around the world, when you watch the news, when you scan Facebook, when, when you see the evil that's everywhere, doesn't it kind of make sense to remind yourself like, oh yeah, right, this is his world right now. And you know what's funny? Is that we always blame God. God gets blamed for it all the time. Something tragic or awful or terrible or destructive happens, and we're like, why would God do that? Why does God let that happen? And we're like, can I, can I remind you of another guy? He's not powerless. He has the ability to bring his own destruction, to cause his own chaos, to do all kinds of awful things. Here's what we find out in the Bible that he's capable of. This is John 10.10. 10. Jesus calls him a thief. He says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give a rich and satisfying life. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us to stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So that's what he's doing right now. It is his goal and his job to steal, to rob you of good things, to rob you of hope, to rob you of joy. It's his job to try and destroy the good things in your life. He wants to see you dead. He wants you devoured. Any good thing that is following God, he is after it. He doesn't want to see you succeed in your walk with Christ. He, he wants to wreck you. He wants to wreck your families. He wants to wreck the church. So we have a very real enemy, and, and this is kind of his goal right now. That's what he's trying to do. Now, I will say this. That doesn't mean that he or like a little demon is behind every awful thing that happens to you. I don't want you to start like tiptoeing around like, whoa, when's it going to happen? Who's going to pop out? It's not like you can't stub your toe tonight and be like, demon. I don't, no, roll up your rim and it's a please play again and you're like, the devil got me again. It's, no, he didn't, right? Sometimes we give the devil too much credit, right? Sometimes, in fact, you'll hear people say this just unbelievably dumb line, the devil made me do it. Yeah. No, the devil can't make you do anything. You are still responsible for the choices you make. The devil made me do it. No, sometimes we're just dumb. Okay, so you don't need to tiptoe around thinking, oh, the devil's out there. But I do want us to know this and remember this as we walk through the series. Church, we have an enemy. He is real and he hates you. But God is bigger. Okay? But Jesus Christ has already won this battle. 
See, the battle's already won. We're in a fight, and it's happening, but we know how it ends. Right? We, the, the battle's been fought. He lost. What he's trying to do now is just take down as many people as possible in the meantime. But he knows it's over. All right, so we've already won, and our God is that much bigger, and our enemy flees at the name of Jesus, and you are full of the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. So you don't need to fear your enemy, but you do need to know that he is a formidable opponent, and he hates you. Okay? So how do you prepare for a fight that you can't see? How are we supposed to win a war that we didn't even know that we were a part of? What does it mean to be in a spiritual battle? And I'm looking around thinking it doesn't look like a spiritual battle. Enter the dress code. This is how we were told to fight the battle. This is how we were told uh, what to do and what to wear and how to equip ourselves. And so we want to talk about all the ways that the enemy works, how he tries to trick us and deceive us and twist the truth and lie to us and tempt us and get us to fall so that we can be prepared and ready and dressed accordingly so that we can win this fight. We don't want to go down with them. We want to make it to the finish line. Amen? Amen. So the very first piece of armor that the Ephesians 6 talks about is the belt. It's the belt of truth. And I know if you're looking down through that list and reading things like, yeah, there's a sword and a shield. It's like, woo, the least exciting one sounds like the belt. Even in real life, no one gets pumped up about belts. I don't know an avid belt collector. I've never had anyone tell me like, oh man, I just got a sweet new belt. Right, like who cares about belts? They're practical and they're fine. Right, but no one gets super fired up about them. But I'll tell you what, this is the first piece of armor that, that Paul tells us to wear, and, and that's on purpose and perfect because it is the foundational piece of equipment that we have to put on first because it'll affect everything else that follows. The belt of truth is the foundation that we stand on. It is absolutely essential, and it's important that we put this one on first. Um, so back in the first century when this was written, right, like, no one was wearing pants. Pants weren't a thing. All the dudes were wearing robes, right? There was, no one had a nice pair of slacks in the year 30. Right? They, just, they weren't invented. In, in fact, I had to Google, when were pants invented? That's a thing I Googled this week. There's a Wikipedia entry, very detailed, about pants, trousers, slacks, shorts, it's actually really weird. It reads like a textbook for aliens. Like aliens researching humans would have looked up pants on Wikipedia. This is one of the lines, seriously. Shorts are often preferred in the hot weather or even for some sports. They're also often worn by children and sometimes teenagers. Like who wrote, who wrote this Wikipedia entry on pants? It's just, anyway, it had nothing to do with my sermon. I just thought it was funny. Um, all that to say, no one was wearing pants back when they were writing this story. They all wore robes, and so what they had to do before they went out to battle or, or to prepare themselves, they did this awesome thing. It's my favorite phrase. They had to gird up their loins. You ever heard anyone say, gird up your loins, right? Like, it's time to fight. Here's what it meant to gird up your loins. I got a picture of it on the screen. So they, they would take all the fabric and bunch it up and kind of put it through their legs and tie it together in the front, it basically transformed a dress into shorts, right? Because listen, have you ever tried to run while wearing a, wrong, uh, a long robe? 
I have twice. You don't need to know why, but it's happened. It's really difficult. It's really hard to run when you're wearing a long dress or a robe. And so they would gird up their loins. It was basically, let's tie them up and give myself shorts. And then they could go off to battle. You didn't want to go into battle without first doing that. And so they'd, they'd call the part where you tied it kind of all off right there. That was kind of your belt. And sometimes they would put another belt over that just to hold it all in place. But then you were ready to put the rest of their armor on. Then you had a spot to put your sword. Maybe you had a spot to put your shield. Then you could get down and actually get your sandals on and you could run and go off into the field. But you would have never done it without first putting your belt on and getting yourself ready. You got to gird up your loins. Use that phrase this week. It is the best. It was your first method of preparing for battle, and it is the belt of truth is that foundational first thing that we need to do and we need to know and be aware of before we're ever ready to fight. You need to know the truth before you're ever ready to fight. I think that's incredibly important, especially nowadays, where people don't really believe in truth. We live in a world where truth is optional. People have varying degrees of opinions on, on what the truth is. In fact, they say now we live in a post-truth world, meaning that it's whatever I think is what's true. Whatever I feel like is what's true, whatever I like, whatever I decide, that's what's truth. And, and if I don't like it, it's probably not true. If, if it's something that would offend someone else, well, then that can't be true. In fact, if, if I don't like it, if it sounds like a lie, I'll just call it a lie. If I don't like the way that it sounds. In fact, uh, the most popular phrase right now in the world is fake news. Right? If I don't like what I'm hearing, it's fake. If I don't like what my critics said about me, it's wrong. If someone said something about me that was mean, certainly it's not true, it's fake. We live in a post-truth world. Post meaning after, meaning we live in a world after the truth. Truth is old-fashioned. Truth is something people had in the olden days. And so it's incredibly important that there are still people in the world who know and very much believe that there is truth. Amen? In fact, last year the Oxford Dictionary, like the legit dictionary people, uh, they chose post-truth as the word of the year. It became that prevalent and that popular and that kind of used to such a degree that they, they threw it into the dictionary, said it was the most used word of the year, post-truth. Doesn't that sound like our world right now? And listen, I want to tell you guys a few things about truth. The first being this, truth can hurt. Truth can be offensive. Truth can be blunt. Uh, listen, truth can be offensive and truth doesn't care. Truth doesn't care if it hurts your feelings. Truth doesn't care... Uh, what you believe about it. Truth it does not affiliate with political parties. Truth does not have ulterior motives. Truth does not have feelings, nor does it care about yours. It's just truth. Truth is truth is truth. Right? That's what makes it truth. And, and because we live in a post-truth world, we have a hard time believing anyone or anything. When, when a corporation says something, we're like, I don't know if that's true. When, when a, the government says something, when a politician says something, we're like, I'm not so sure about that. Is that true? Everyone's out to trick me. Everyone's out to lie to me. I don't know what's true anymore, and so I'll just go on my gut. I'll just go with what sounds right. I'll go with what everyone else is going with. I mean, if most everyone believes it, then it must be what's true. But here's the thing. Even if the world's opinions on truth have changed, the truth hasn't changed. 
Truth doesn't change. Truth can't change. That's what makes it truth. If it ever changed, then it was never truth, right? I know that's like, we're getting into philosophy zone now. Truth can't change. If it was true in the year zero, it's true in the year 2017. That's what makes it truth. Um, so here's why it's so important for us as Jesus followers is that everything we believe, we believe it is the truth. Everything is riding on this truth. It's foundational. It's what, if you don't believe that the gospel is true, if you don't believe that Jesus is true, if you don't believe that what he said was true, then why are, why are you here? Why are we here right now? You might as well just go believe another story. Go believe another book. Go get yourself to heaven another way. It's fine. Whatever you believe is fine. You see, we don't. We believe the truth is what's true. And we believe that the Bible is truth and that Jesus is truth. We believe that the story is true. It's always been around since the dawn of time. It's still going right now. In fact, there are churches still being planted in every corner, in every country, all around the world. People are still coming to Jesus. They're still being transformed. They're still seeing miracles happen. There are people still declaring the truth and experiencing unbelievable life change. That doesn't happen for a fake made-up story from thousands and thousands of years ago. We believe it's the truth. In fact, there are people willing to die for that truth. Christianity is the most persecuted religion on the globe right now. Who willingly endures torture to the point of death for a lie? Why would the disciples have chosen to give up their own life if they knew their buddy just escaped from the tomb? If they didn't really believe it? No, we believe it's truth. It's the truth. Um... And here's the thing, we believe that truth is more than just an abstract thing. It's not just a concept, it's not just an idea. Truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. We believe this because this is what he told us. This is John 14, 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. He is the truth. He didn't just know it. He didn't just preach it. He didn't just declare it. He was truth. He is truth. He embodied it and lived it and spoke it. And, and he, everything he said was true then, which means everything he did was true. Every, everything he prophesied was true. Jesus is truth. It's not just a concept. He is a person. And so now you can have a relationship with truth. It's not just about knowing truth as fact. It's about having relationship with it to the point now where we know the truth so that we embody it and we speak it and we preach it and we declare it. And we, we go around saying, no, this is what's true. It's foundational to who we are. So here's what we know about our enemy is that he is the father of lies. So these things kind of come at odds. Uh, this is John 8.44. tells us a little bit about our enemy. It says, For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies, meaning he is the originator of lies. That is where lying came from. He invented lying. He is the father of lies. So, so he is a liar, and he hates the truth. He doesn't want the truth to be declared. He doesn't want you to know it. He doesn't want you to live it. 
and he'll do everything he can to stop it. And so as the father of lies, his main method of attack is to attack the truth. It's to distort the truth. It's to twist the truth so that it's not true anymore. That was his tactic in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? He told Adam and Eve, God did, don't, you can eat all this fruit from all these trees except that one. Don't eat the fruit from that one. You will die. And here's what the devil does in Genesis 3.1. It says, the serpent, who was the devil, was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God just knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. Do you see how subtle he is? These are the tactics of a professional liar. Right? He knows what he's doing. The first thing he does is that he creates doubt about the truth. Did he really say that? that he, he starts to make you question and wonder. Well, did he? I don't know. Maybe he said something different. Maybe I misunderstood him. Maybe I misheard him. I'm not sure it'd be neat if we could eat that. Yeah, maybe he did. He, he just immediately creates doubt about the truth. Did he really, did he really say that? And that's when we start to justify things that we normally wouldn't have done or said. We respond with, well, I thought, he thought it was truth. You see, then he kicks it up a notch and he starts to make the lie actually sound better than the truth. He goes on to say, oh, you won't die. No, no, you won't die. In fact, you'll be better off than you were. You'll know things. You'll have wisdom. It'll be great. So he makes the lie sound even more enticing than the truth. Verse 6 says, well, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. The tree was beautiful, guys. The fruit looked delicious. Certainly something that looks beautiful and delicious couldn't be a lie. Certainly something that looks that nice, that appealing, that enticing, it, it, there's no way that could be actually a thing of lie. See, the lie looks better than the truth. It's more fun. It's more fun to say you can eat it or you can eat it, rather than you can't. And then the devil plays a trick, and he goes on to say, no, you'd be better off. Like, wisdom's a good thing. Don't you want wisdom? Aren't we supposed to get wisdom? How, how in the world could the pursuit of wisdom be a sin? How could wisdom be a bad thing? No, that's a good thing. And, and he tricks her into thinking that the lie is good, and you'll be better off, and, and this is what's best, actually. The lie would be what's best more so than the truth. It's a noble, good thing. And she eats the apple, and so does Adam. And that is how sin entered the world, that lie. That, that's why we're stuck with death and, and destruction and disease and pain, because he told a lie. And she bought it. We all bought it. See, that is how he lies to us. He entices us by making the truth sound beautiful, that looks delicious, that's a noble cause. Certainly a noble cause wouldn't be wrong. Certainly something that's a good thing couldn't be considered bad. 
But if it's not truth, see, he's great at it. He's a professional liar. All right, you've all met bad liars, right? You all, some of you know when other people are lying because, like, bad liars smile. They're like, are you lying? You're like, no. You're like, yeah. Right, like, the worst poker face in the world. You're just like, no, I didn't. We all know bad liars. Kids are bad liars. My kids are bad liars, right? I remember the day that I asked one of my daughters, knowing full well the answer, did you take the last piece of cake? To which she responded, no. Frosting all over her lips, her hands, her hair, still chewing on the cake. Did you take it? No. Bad liars. And some people are really bad liars. The devil is not a bad liar. So here's the thing. We have to be prepared to fight against a good liar. That means we need to be extra prepared. We need to be ready. We need to be aware. We need to be equipped. We need to be talented to know what it is we're looking for. So here's the thing. If the enemy's pri primary weapon is lies, then our primary weapon is truth. Right? If he's going to fight us with lies, then we need to fight back with truth. So our first thing to do, you need to know the truth. You, you need to, the Bible is truth. You need to read it. You need to memorize it. You need to hide the word in your heart so that you might not sin. Do you remember that psalm? You need to know the word. It is truth. This is how we know what's right and good and holy and honorable. This is how we know truth. He gave us this book. Read it. Listen to it. You can listen to it now. If, if you're like, oh, don't read. Not an excuse anymore. You need to know truth. Because if he's fighting with lies and you don't know truth, you're done. And you'll fall for every one of those lies. And listen, even the devil knows scripture. Right? That's how he tried to tempt Jesus. He, he threw scripture at him, distorted a little bit, twisted it a little bit, took it out of context. But he knows his scriptures. He'll even use that against you. You've got to know truth. You need to be equipped with the truth, right? If the devil knows it, do you? Can you defend yourself with truth? Can you defend why you believe what you believe? Are you ready at every occasion to give an answer? You know what's terrifying to me uh, as a pastor, but even just as a follower of Christ? There are so many biblically illiterate Christians. And that's terrifying. We have to know our truth. We have, to, we have to have a relationship with the truth. He's truth. You need to spend time with him. Listen to him. Read the words that he said. Whatever he did, that, that is what's truth. But we don't know the truth, and we're being lied to. And we're buying it, and we're believing it, and we're falling for it. Because it sounds good, it looks beautiful, and it seems noble. But it's not truth. If he's fighting with lies then we need to be prepared with truth because trickery will be out there. In fact, this is, this is happening in the early church, right, when they first launched. This is Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul is writing. He says, I'm so shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You're following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it's not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. 
says, you're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth. Would you know if that was happening to you? Would you know if someone was tricking you with a distorted truth? Another passage, Ephesians 4, says, Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, here's how we fight it, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So it was happening all the way back then. They were launching churches, people were getting saved, and already there was people twisting and distorting. People were getting tricked and they were falling away. Because, oh, look at that beautiful tree, look at that delicious fruit, look at that noble task in front of you, and it was lies. If you aren't wearing your belt of truth, you will trip over all of these lies. You can't live for Jesus and not know the truth. You can't live for Jesus and, and, and not pursue the truth. And so here's a few reminders for us, okay, as we head out into the battlefield, as, as we go back to our homes and wherever we're going, here's a few just last kind of minute points on truth. Number one is your feelings aren't always true, Okay. What you feel isn't always true. Are you with me? Your emotions aren't always true. Okay? The thoughts that pop inside of your head aren't always the truth. Okay? You, you can't believe that stuff. Well, I feel it in my heart. Do you know what the scripture says about your heart? It is deceitful above all things. Okay? People are like, no, I'm just going to follow my heart. Your heart is a liar. Don't follow your heart. Right? You, you can't always believe your feelings. You can't always believe every emotion that, that kind of comes your way. Uh, here's another thing. Uh, just because it makes you happy doesn't make it true. And just because it makes you mad doesn't make it a lie. Okay? You with me? Just because it's something that makes you happy doesn't mean that it's true. There are lots of things that could give you a boost of momentary happiness that will kill you. Just because it makes you happy doesn't mean that it's true. And just because it makes you mad doesn't make it a lie. You might not like it, but it might still be true. In fact, there's a lot of truth in Scripture that I look at, and I'm like, oh, that's hard. That'd be easier if it wasn't there. But it's true. We can't go by your emotions. Jesus is truth. His word is truth. Whatever he said and did and acted on, that was truth. And so we need to be alert and aware of all the ways the enemy is trying to lie to us and twist truth and, and, and make things sound more appealing. So this week, you need to think about what you hear. Think about every thought that comes into your head, whether it was from someone else, whether it was from yourself. The Bible says to take every thought captive, right? That means stop and think about it. Hold it there for a little bit. Does this line up with Scripture? Does this line up with Jesus? Is this what is true? Is this what he said? Is this how he lived? Is this what he did? And only then can you go, okay, that's truth or not. Don't believe every thought that enters your head. Take every thought captive. So this is hard, right? This is going to be a challenge, but we all need to be prepared and ready. So what we've got, we got a ton of these red hangers. And so this is to help you remember every day to be alert, to be ready, to put on the right piece of armor, to do what you need to do. So this week, this is your reminder of truth 
to put on the belt of truth, to learn it, memorize it, stand on it, know it, and, and to think about everything you're hearing. Okay, so on your way out today, every single person is gonna get a red hanger. We've got enough for everyone to take one, and we want you to take this home, and, and I want you to, I know some of you don't do this, Think about what you're gonna to wear tomorrow. Hang it on this hanger. So that when you have to go get whatever it is you're gonna to wear tomorrow, you have to look at this red hanger. I'm gonna guess it's the only red hanger you have. I could be wrong, I don't know. But I want this to be your reminder to take every thought captive, to ask, to wonder, pursue, is this truth? Is what I'm hearing truth? Is what I'm saying truth? I need to go out today and embody the truth and declare the truth and live the truth and know the truth, right? This is our reminder. Gird up your loins this week, Crosspoint, because you're getting ready for action. You're getting ready to go onto the battlefield and you don't want to trip over every little lie that's going to come your way, but you want to be prepared because you know the truth was John 8.32 that says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Lies will bind you up. Lies will throw you in prison. Lies will keep you in bondage. But it is the truth that will set you free. You need to know it. You need to read it, listen to it, hear it. it is what you're watching truth? Is what you're listening to truth? Is who you're following truth? What's your diet look like? Lies or truth? So you're going to get a red hanger, take it, even, even if you like pick your clothes off the floor in the morning, like hang your shoe off of it or something so that you are forced to look at this red hanger every week and pursue the truth, who is Jesus Christ, amen? Amen.